This podcast is proudly brought to you by Adventure Professionals. www.adventureprofessionals.com.au For me, Mission Ridge and Brigade Hill, the whole Kokoda campaign, more people need to know about it. I know everyone knows someone who's trekked Kokoda, but to actually understand the stories of what these young guys did, it's harrowing what they went through. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted and they fell with their faces to the foe. Welcome to the Kokoda Track Podcast, hosted by former soldier Glenn Azar. This is the place to hear stories from those who've trekked Kokoda and gain tips and knowledge about what to expect on the track or to relive your own amazing experiences. The Kokoda Track Podcast, keeping the spirit of Kokoda alive. Okay, so we're going to take everyone through a daily walkthrough of Kokoda because obviously no one can go to Kokoda at the moment and it's uh, from the time we get to the airport on and I thought I'd bring Tatum in to work with me. Hey, Tate. G'day. So explain to people what you do with Adventure Professionals. So I have been helping out Adventure Professionals for a couple of months now. Um, started taking over a bit of the admin that Corey was doing. So I was uh, starting to get into the full swing of things and organise the troops and hopefully getting everyone ready for Kokoda when... Uh, COVID. COVID came around. We're anti-COVID. And I was supposed to be on one of the trips myself, so I was devastated. But we did get to go to the Yukon. Oh, yeah. We managed to scrape in the Yukon by a few weeks, I reckon. So yeah. <laughs> so, so outside of Kokoda, we do a heap of other trips, and we went dog sitting in the Yukon together, Tate, myself, and a big group of people. And that was our only adventure for the year at this it point. It was, but it was a pretty cool adventure, so it I can't was. complain. Now, we're not trying to rub it in for those of you that have <laughs> not been able to go to Kokoda. But what I wanted to do is talk you through the day-to-day from our point of view. And then I thought, Tate, you could kind of chime in from how it felt trekking Kokoda the first time. So we're going back five years now. Mm, Jog the memory, yes. Yes, And that was an unusual trip because that was a trip we did with Channel 7 over radio station and so on. So there was a little bit more to that, if we're honest. So from my point of view... The way we work, and, and all companies are slightly different, of course, but we take everything with us. So we supply backpacks, tents, sleeping bags, you know, food packs. We do all of that. We bring a lot of it in from Australia. So the night before we go to Kokoda, a lot of people are flying into Brisbane. You live here. Yes. Um, so I'll talk to you in a minute about your night before, but our night before, we're packing, we're going through checklists because we want to make sure we take enough food over for everyone, of course, and enough gear. Um, then that morning... Around 5.30, we get into the gym where we've got our storage shed. We pack all of those boxes and we, with Corey, normally comes out with me. We take all the stuff out and normally, say for a normal-sized group, we've got like at least 20 boxes that we have to carry on to the plane full of food and everything. So it's a really interesting process for us. We try and get there an hour before all the trekkers get there. We then try and smooth talk the Air New Guinea staff, which we generally do... (laughs) We generally do pretty well. Uh, that They know us, so they're really good. And they just give us one lane. We try and check all the boxes in and get everything started before all the trekkers arrive. Now, your point of view, you're living in Brizzy. Do you mm. remember much about night before? To be honest, I know that's your general process, but I feel like our trip was such a big trip and there was so much to do to organise it. I think you probably went over a little bit early for that trip. You went on that flight to Port Moresby. Oh, I did too. Yeah. So on that trip for me, certainly the night before – like excitement levels were through the roof and we were so fortunate that through Nova and and Mountain Designs we had been given a bit of gear as well so I was like felt so special I had all my gear laid out on the bed and I was packing it um 
but yeah, just obviously going over, making sure you've got everything, especially when it's the first time you've done Kokoda, you want to be really prepared. You've done a lot of travel though, so yeah. do, does that help, do you think? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I'm very organised, um, so there was nothing I was going to miss, um, and certainly not knowing what to, what's going to happen out on the track, you want to make sure you've got everything that you need. So you get to the airport. Yes. I was in New Guinea already, mm. but Ricky obviously was with you guys. Yeah. What was that feeling like meeting? Well, you didn't meet everyone for the first time. No. You knew a lot of them in training. Yeah, yeah. Which is unusual. So for you guys listening, sometimes you might come from interstate and you're meeting everyone for the first yeah, time. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, super fun, super exciting. Everybody was there. We were so fortunate. Like the film crew were there. Um, Abby, jo- Abby was there. Uh, sorry. George Palmer was there. George Palmer, yeah. That's who I was thinking of. So George Palmer, who's in the really famous photo in Kokoda, he was there at the airport to say goodbye to us. Massive big group photo with everyone in their shirts. Um, yeah, it was so exciting. So everyone gets on the plane from there. Typically we explain to people that um, there's a process going through New Guinea. Uh, once you get through that visa line, make sure you check that you've got all your bags mm. because once you leave that's part of the airport. If you've left a bag behind, or like anywhere, it could be gone. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and that's no slide on the PNGP, but that's just the, the process. You've got to make sure you've got everything. Um, do you remember that sort of landing in New Guinea and how that felt being oh, the first time in the country? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm used to travelling and I'm used to being in many Asian or third world type countries and the how busy it is when you land into an airport like that and everyone's trying to get to you or help you. Um, I mean, we already felt, amazing but you kind of felt like rock stars landing into this airport everyone's like looking at you who are this big group of Aussies landing you know add on the Channel 7 film crew that were filming it for that night's news I had people texting me that night saying oh I saw you on the news landing into PNG and I'm like oh my god this is amazing so yeah it was it was cool but you also like you know you've got it under control and you're and me being like a bit of a control freak, I'm just standing there just like, okay, what's going? Where are we going? Where are the buses? What's happening? So it's just like c- trying to contain that and stand there and just wait for it all to happen as well. Do you have trouble rel- relinquishing <laughs> control? I just... I know you well enough to know the truth. I just like to know that things are organised. <laughs> and when you go to countries like PNG, I know you have it all under control, but when you've never been to a country like that before, um, yeah, I just like to know that things are happening. So, yeah. So we... Meet Killer and the boys there. We jump on all the buses. Mm-hmm. We then drive through Port Moresby, which I think is really important. You, there's a couple of different uh, places you can stay. So sometimes I'll stay at Airways, which is right near uh, right near the airport. But I prefer to stay at like Crown Plaza or places like because I think people should drive through Port Moresby just to experience yep. it. What was your first sort of impressions? Or, and was it anything that could compare to it, like other countries you've been to that was um, similar? I think... Yeah, look, I wasn't shocked. It's certainly not, you know, they're not a first world country and you certainly see things that you're not used to seeing in Australia. Um, I wasn't shocked from all the other travel that I've been fortunate enough to do. Um, But you still, yeah, you still look at things and you're driving through streets that, you know, aren't aren't what you expect in Australia. So you you still certainly have those thoughts of, wow, like, you know, we're so fortunate what we have in Australia and, um, is there any yeah. country it reminds you of, though? Just yeah, maybe interest? like a little bit of sort of landing into India, I think. A um, little bit of, yeah, very quite similar to that in terms of the road and the infrastructure. Um, I'm trying to think. I think like it was a little, like you drive through a little bit that's sort of like jungly-like as well. Yeah. So that, um, you know, that sort of reminds you a little bit of Asia as well. So. so we drive through, we get to the Crown. We have a pretty streamlined process, so it's getting everyone into rooms. Mm. And with that group, 
so this is probably slightly different than most groups. It was like herding cats because <laughs> you've got media talent from Channel Seven mm. and the boys and from Nova, and yeah. yeah. So there's a lot going on, but we get over there and we normally run people through, get them into the rooms. We set a briefing up normally to go about an hour and a half later. We go through a full briefing with all of your gear. You get issued with everything that we supply, which is pretty much everything. You then, we say to people, we give you a rundown of what the next 24 hours are going to entail. I only ever give people a rundown of 24 hours because I find if you give them a rundown of the whole seven days, you just spend the whole seven days repeating it. Um, people stress about little things. Let's look at the next 24 hours. Do you remember much about that process? Yeah, I do. Like I remember we got into um, our rooms and I think fairly quickly that afternoon we were having a briefing in a large um, office, a room there at the Crown Plaza and for us, like we had – a few of us had porters, so I had still like hadn't really worked out in my head what was happening because you kind of kept saying, oh, you know, you don't need your own bag, but obviously I'd brought my own backpack from Australia. But in my head I was like, okay, well, what, where's my stuff going? Like you just say bring, all, bring your suitcase and your stuff to this room and I'm like, okay, all right, and I turn up and then this magical backpack turns up. Clearly I must not have maybe – paid attention at that point prior to leaving Australia but um so you just lob up to this room with all your stuff and and then it's very thorough like you know we sit in a big circle you go through everything that's needed and you know anyone that doesn't have something is you know hand straight up to try and sort that out yeah because we have a lot of stuff yeah. in New Guinea so if people are missing a water bottle a pillow yep. a sleeping bag we can supply yeah. or fix that problem so we do that briefing we then send people back to their rooms to pack and repack their bags Honestly, three or four times mm. because you pack it and then you repack it and then you start to go, oh, maybe I don't need that. Are you good at that process because you travel a bit or did yeah. you still have to repack a bit? Uh, no, I'm very good at packing and, and I am one of those people that love packing. I love packing for some reason. I love getting it all into like a nice little spot. So I love packing and uh, yeah, I had no problems with that at all. Then we have dinner mm. and then I tell everyone to get an early night because yes. the next day is a very early morning. Mm. But any thoughts over that night? Were you nervous still? Was it? exciting yeah, was it? it's it's more the unknown like you don't know you think you're fit enough and you think you're going to be fine but you still don't know what's what's coming so yeah I think nerves are normal at that stage so we get up at I can't remember exactly but most trips three thirty, four o'clock yep. in the morning we're being picked up from the airport around four uh sorry from the hotel around four we go to the airport we're now at domestic very mm. different little airport than the international yeah um, and it's a long, slow process to get us herded onto planes. Yeah, I do remember that feeling like a little bit of organised chaos. Yeah. yeah, and then you get – because island time, for anyone that hasn't been, is a very real thing. Um, so if a flight's meant to leave at 6am or 7am, it could leave at 9 or midday, <laughs> and that's life. Like, that's just – that's what it is. So the flight, 25-minute flight over mm-hmm. to Poppendetta. Tiny little plane. What's that? How, 60 people? Well, two, two and two with little propeller props. Well, yeah. Did we take one plane or two for uh, us? I think it was just one. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we fly over. We It lands on a bitumen airstrip. We then get on the back of a truck for two and a half, three hours to Kokoda. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I remember stopping and having to go to the toilet on the side of the road. Welcome, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> Everyone turn away, please. <laughs> Where's the girls' toilets and the boys' toilets? Like? Well, that's uh, our introduction to each yeah. other. You're getting to know people. Uh, on a normal trip, you're starting to try and work out who's who in the zoo. But mm. we, again, we all train together mostly. Like I was living in Toowoomba at the time, so I didn't train with you guys so much. But everyone's getting to train together. Obviously, you know who the, the radio crew are because you're listening to them every day. Um, so we get to Kokoda. 
I actually just watched our documentary, which I played mm. last week. So for everyone listening, Tate was on that one that we played last week. And I remember listening to Kip saying, "It's now it's gotten real. Because yeah. our feet are on the ground, the heat, he said the humidity just seemed to go up by yes. 100. Um, yeah. And now it's kind of packing. Tell us a bit about your memories from that bit. We haven't started yeah. walking yet. Yeah, um, I feel like we got into, into Kokoda and... I, we may have had lunch, I think, but then there was sort of, again, it's like organised chaos. I know it all comes together and, so, you know, we got allocated a porter and me being like the person that wants to know everything that's happening, like I couldn't really remember who got allocated to me and so I'm like standing there going, oh, okay, who's, who's, who's with me? But then they just pop up out of nowhere and like they know who you are. Um, so, yeah, it was just a lot of like just standing around, everyone's getting, you know, their, their packs ready and all the porters are getting their stuff ready, so... Yeah. So then we step off and we've got two and a half hours roughly. We also had a us. briefing from you there as well about oh, the history. Yeah, yeah, sorry. We did. Um, Which was awesome. Yeah, before we stepped off, we went to the Kokoda yeah. Plateau um, and we just talk about how the battle started because what mm-hmm. I try and do is put the battle down each day again, not do the whole week. So we just talked about how it started and then, um, you know, the Japanese coming in from Malaysia and Singapore coming in through Rebel, then coming on to Kokoda. The reason they were doing it, which for people listening is they were looking for a back entrance through to Port Moresby mm-hmm. so they could take over the airstrips because they were fighting a naval battle that they ended up losing, but at the time they were just being held in check. So the idea was if we can take over Port Moresby, we can launch, our aircraft can land there, they can launch onto the American Navy, we can win the naval battle. That was the whole, and they were given 10 days to complete that battle. So we talk about that. Then we go two and a half hours, two hours pretty flat, half hour, nice little uphill just to wake the lungs up. Mm-hmm. And then we're staying at Daniki, which is absolutely beautiful. Like you're on the side of this hill, you can see right back down the valley to Kokoda. Mm-hmm. Do you remember all that? Oh, yeah. But backtracking a little bit, one of my the funny, well, I thought it was funny at the time. So we set off through the arches and... Because we had the film crew and the drone there, I think we didn't get like the walk right through the first set of arches. So it was quite funny. We all set off, we're all like anticipating, and then it was like, stop, back it up, let's go through the arches again. We did it three times, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Which was, you know, it was pretty funny. But yeah, it does. It's like you, you start off flat. I think we stopped at a really lovely little um, like river or lake thing and Ahoy. and you helped out um, some little kids or someone that That's had, right. a, had yeah, a cut yeah. or something on their head. Yeah, we so, did. We, we got to Hoy and yeah. then all the villagers come out. And that's something that happens a lot on the track is that um, the villagers know that we've got first aid kits um, and they'll come out and actually Timmy Wilson was medically treating a young kid that had a really yeah. big abscess on his head where he'd been cut yeah. and it had just fessed up. Yeah. So we just treated that as best we could. Um, but Hoy is a beautiful mm, spot. Sometimes we gorgeous. camp at Hoy if yeah. depending what other people are doing yeah. on the track and it's a nice yeah. – you don't hear everyone snoring because mm-hmm. it's um, you've got the water running. But yeah, that hill up to Daniki, ooh, that certainly like when you when you've been on the flats for a couple of hours and then you head up that hill, it's like, oh my lord. Um, do you remember what you're thinking the night before, or do you remember the sort of that feeling of being the first night? Now it's real. Now yeah, we're on the track. Absolutely, we're over the hotel stuff. Yep. Where there's no turning back now as well. It's like doesn't matter what what comes your way, you've got to keep going. Your so. phone stops working. Yeah, <laughs> but that, like you said, that that campsite is amazing. It's so beautiful. Like you get there and the tents are up, and you're like, this is incredible. There's a little. Uh, like a natural shower there, so the yeah. girls girls got to head off because there was less of us. We had our shower for the night, which was great. So, so my system when I get into camp, for me, and again, I don't know how other companies do this, but I'll normally give a briefing. This is where the toilets are. This is where the shower facilities are. This is what time we're going to catch up and all have dinner together. So I give everyone that rundown. 
Then I normally give the girls first shower, then I give them half an hour, <laughs> and then I release the boys. So if you're still down there, that's on you. So and everyone knows. So that makes them shower very quickly. But yeah, it's a great little spot. It's not a we, we just you know you stand there in your gym gear and just let the water flow over you. But very refreshing. Did you sleep alright the first night? Yeah, I sleep. I always sleep well. Even, even camping. Yeah. Yep. Because some people still struggle on that first night, even though it's been a really big day. Mm. I think their nerves get to them. Yeah. No, I will sleep through anything. It is um what is fairly normal, and for anyone that's trekking in the way we're talking, which is from Kokoda back to Owers, it's fairly normal for people to, uh, I wouldn't say panic, but to feel really nervous on that first night and think, am I up to this? Mm. Well, you're pretty fit, so I doubt that you went through that. I, I'm sure I still did go through that. Um, yeah, I think we were talking the other day, where Ash's boys were quite young when we were doing it, and even up that first hill they were saying a few things like, oh... I don't know if I can do it. And then they ended up being incredible yeah. throughout the whole trip. So they were yeah. 9 and 11. Yeah. yeah so yeah. on that first day, people think, oh, I can't do eight days of that. Yeah. But you can. And it's just that yeah. little hill that gets you. You haven't acclimatised. You've been out of bed since 3, 3.30 in the morning. You yeah. probably didn't have a good sleep because you're nervous. This is for a lot of people. So that's fairly normal. The amount of times someone has said to me, I don't know if I can do this. Mm. And then they're fine. Yeah. So, But that first night, you know, um, I remember Bill doing a cross to – Bill McDonald doing a cross to um, – to Channel 7 at the time, so we're setting all that up and it was just oh, so cool to watch it all happen. And yeah, that's yeah. right, because we were satellite feeding yeah. that stuff back. So next day, we're trekking to Alola. So for that trek, to just to talk people through it, um, we go for about an hour and a half, we have a little break next to a waterfall. Mm-hmm. Remember that little waterfall? Mm, very yeah, nice. Beautiful yeah. fresh water. There's so much yeah. fresh water out there. Um, that's about an hour and a half. You're in under the canopy, so you don't get the heat that you're getting mm. on on that first day. So that takes some of the fear out. I like to get up at five, step off at six, so people are avoiding the heat of the day. Then we head along a bit further. We're going up a couple of decent-sized hills and we end up at the village of Isharava, not the battlefield. Um, that's our first introduction to a really nice village, like full village, I think, because Daniki's not a village. And we get up there, we have morning tea. All the locals come out selling you Coke and Twisties <laughs> and soft drink uh, and um, bananas and stuff like that. Do you remember that spot? Yeah, I do. I, d- I don't think I purchased any twisties or coke. On the whole trip? Yeah, I don't think so. Weird. No. It's weird. But anyway. I had plenty of food in the <laughs> ration pack, so I was fine. True. Yep. So then we trek along and mostly kind of heading downhill and we come to Isharava Battlefield. Now, you're a mad military history mm, buff. Like love you, it. You love it. So what was that experience like to – it just opens mm, up all of a sudden. Yeah. Did, did that get you a bit? Oh, yeah, amazing. Like, just to hear your stories and then, you know, we all stood on the on the edge there and, you know, you sort of took us through a lot of the history and, and Ricky stood behind us and played the bugle. Like, it was yeah. just, like, just out-of-body experience. Amazing. And so for people listening, um, Ricky did one of my very early podcasts here. He's a mate of ours who's a, an amazing bugler yep. but was also a physical training instructor at 2 Commando. So um, really, really cool guy. But... Yes, you're not going to get that on no. every trip. And when you watch the footage on the documentary, um, the drone just goes out into the like the forest area in front of us and oh, that footage is amazing. So Isharava, for those that haven't been yet, it's where you see the four pillars, courage, endurance, mateship, sacrifice. It's where Bruce Kingsbury was awarded the Victoria Cross. In a brief military history, it's where the 39th Battalion were defending, waiting for the AAF battalions to arrive. Um, they were getting overrun. The Japanese committed around 6,000 troops to that battle. The Australians had about 400 initially, 900 in the end, because the 2nd 14th arrived, and the 2nd 16th held the rear guard to try and you know protect the waterline behind us. But we got fairly beaten up there. 
and we had to pull out. So we were just getting overrun. So after two and a half days of battle, the Australians pulled out. And for us, and from a trekking point of view, we then trek up to Alola. So during the battle, Alola is where Brigade Headquarters was. So this is where the Ishuava battlefield or the Ishuava battle was being controlled. But from our point of view, it's where Killer and the boys live. Mm-hmm. So we stayed there the night, and this was a chance to see all the boys and their families. Mm. Do you remember that? Yeah, really special. And it's so amazing because they're away from home a fair bit over the trekking season, so really nice. And the kids get really excited yeah. when uh, yep. when all the boys turn up. Yep. So we spent a night there. That's another really nice spot. Um, I remember on our trip in particular, it was quite cold mm, for that trip. At night some it was, nights. Yeah. yeah. So yep. Alola's the first night where you get a bit of cold because it come, the wind comes right up that valley there. But it's a beautiful spot. You can see right down what they call the Yotta Valley. Um, again, we have a little briefing. They've got showers there, mm-hmm. which are ice cold showers. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's did okay. You, did you shower every day? Um... I feel like if there was a shower available, I took advantage of it. Yeah. So, yes. Some people, as it gets higher and colder, they go, mm, I'll wait till tomorrow. Yeah, there was one day, and it might have been the next day, but it rained literally for the last two hours of the hike. So, I was virtually just Actually, drenched. that was freezing temperatures, yeah. which so, I'll come to. Um, oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. So, we, we spend the night. We Of a night time, let's talk about the night times mm. for us. We mm. sit around every night. I normally, we have dinner together. So one mm-hmm. night we'll have pasta, everyone puts mm. in a pot, next night we'll have rice, and then the third night we do dehydrated ration. So it's your own meal, but we still sit together. Mm-hmm. And what we do on of a night time is we give everyone a briefing about what's going to happen the next day, and then we talk about well, you know, what happened today as well, just how is everyone travelling. But then I pick two or three people and ask them to tell their stories, just five minutes a bit about themselves mm-hmm. so they get to know each other. Mm-hmm. How'd you find that? Yeah, really... Um incredible to hear what people shared like i mean we had maybe 26 people on our trip i think um and which is way bigger than normal because yeah. that included the cameraman yep. and the producers yep. and but, yeah. you know we had some really deep things shared and whether or not people just feel comfortable in that scenario um but you know we had some soldiers sharing some really heavy things that they saw um on the battlefield and you know issues that they've had since coming home we had people dealing with other emotional issues in their life. So, yeah, it, w- it was tough to um, to share that. That's a good point. So, again, for people listening, we because the whole point of this one that you did with Nova and Channel 7 was to highlight mates for mates mm. who are working with veterans. So we had some veterans mm. come on the trip and tell their stories, So as well as everyone else. But, yeah, you're right. Every trip I've ever been on, particularly by day two and three, people have been through a bit of physical duress um, no matter how fit you are Uh, people are getting to know each other all the barriers are being stripped away you know no phones and all that and they get really deep Mm. and I mean I don't like public speaking I'm terrible at it I love I love talking don't get me wrong Um, love sharing but I'm terrible when people are looking at me so even though it's night time and it's dark I know I still got nervous talking because everyone's looking at you so but it was good amazing did you tell your story about how you ended up on the trip Uh, I would have I think so probably yeah so yeah. next day we head on a downhill. It's a fairly steep downhill. It's one of the few days you start downhill. And we go all the way down to a river crossing, a small river crossing. I don't know if you remember this. And then throughout that whole day we continually are crossing Templeton. So we go down and then we go up. And then we go back down and then we go up. Mm. And that's pretty much the tone of the whole day. We get ourselves uh, to Eora Creek. And at Eora Creek is where, during the, the Battle of uh, Ishirava, there was a big field medical treatment centre there. Um, the 2nd 16th held that position. That's where we have morning tea. 
they then had to pull out from there and push themselves all the way back to what they call Templeton's Crossing. And that's where we end up spending our night. So we go from Eora Creek at morning tea to Templeton's number two, which took us about three and a half hours. Um, that's the longest period without water, without fresh water mm. coming. We then had lunch there, and then we pushed on to Templeton's number one. Now, Templeton's is named after Captain Sam Templeton. He didn't fight there, but he was actually killed at a while north of Kokoda before the initial Kokoda battle started. And his whole point to... Um, or well, the reason things are named after him is the soldiers had so much respect for him that they just felt um, to, to name something after him. It was actually an ammunition dump. So so we get to Templeton's number one, and that is where it was bitterly cold yeah. that night, which is really yeah. unusual. As in, I remember having a beanie on, a hoodie, socks, which is very unusual, but yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah so it was bucketing down for the last couple of hours. And I remember we were walking, and I had a like a, a rain, not a raincoat, but a you know, an outer layer for covering for rain. And I think maybe Ricky was behind me and I'm like, oh, and maybe you. And I said, oh, should I put this on? And they're like, don't even bother. You're just going to get absolutely hammered in rain. So we got to that te- uh, that camp and I just remember just taking off the wet clothes and that was a shower for the night. So we'll, yeah. come, we'll come back to that in just a second. So we get into Templeton's, it's freezing cold, you elect, mm. you guys, that was your shower for the night, the two yes. hours of rain leading up to it. Mm-hmm. And, well, let's talk about getting, because it rains quite a bit on Kokoda. You know, sometimes you can get a dry trip, but it's rare. Getting changed in and out of tents and stuff, the acrobatics of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunate enough at that particular campsite, there's a hut, and I believe you guys sleep in it. Um, so we did a bit of a deal, us girls, and we just said we just needed – Five minutes in that hut to ourselves just to five get changed. Minutes. Probably maybe longer than five minutes. I can't remember. But, yeah, because trying to get off wet clothes in a little tent. So we got all our gear. All the girls went straight in, faced opposite walls and said, right, go for it. Get dry. Put on warm clothes because it was freezing that night. And then uh, I actually remember staying in there that night because it was really high off the ground, that hut. So the wind just come howling up through it and we're – it was literally coming in underneath and I was freezing and I thought, I don't normally sleep in tents, but I wished I had that yep. night. That was unusually cold though. Yeah. And I don't know, I know you've mentioned to me that some uh, other operators don't use tents. I, I don't know how you could sleep through a night like that without a tent. Yeah. Oh. Crazy. Crazy. They market it as the uh, authentic or original experience. I'll have a tent, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> So now we're at the base of Mount Bellamy, which is the highest point that we cross on the track. So the next day, we've got a big day. We're about to, by the end of that day, we'll reach the halfway mark of the track, the physical halfway mark. So we go up over Mount Bellamy first thing in the morning. Do you remember that feeling? That, mm. warm, that warms you up pretty yeah, quick. Yeah, definitely. Yep. It's like going up a set of stairs almost. So we get up to there. We've got a little bit of a clearing where we can see all the way back down to Kokoda effectively. That's a section where during the war they were asked to, uh, the Australian Air Force was asked to blow up the mountains either side, like the old cowboys in Indian days, fill in the pass. That was the idea. That was the order coming back from Brisbane from the Americans. And the Air Force flew over it. And at its narrowest point, it was 11 kilometres. And at its widest, 14 kilometres. And they were like, there's literally, that's not going to happen. But when you look at crossing the track, like filling it in with rubble was not going to make it any harder than what it already is anyway. The Japanese just would have climbed over it. Like, yeah. It was a silly thing. But anyway, so we go up, 
we head over and then we've got a massive long downhill to a place called Camp 1900 mm-hmm. where it takes us about, say, two, two and a half hours down and you open up to this beautiful, I don't know if you remember this, but a beautiful big green campsite that's in the middle of this sort yep. of valley. Gorgeous. And let's just say going down is just as hard as going up. Yeah. Like the knees. Whew. Um, but yeah, coming into that clearing after going down for that long is amazing. Did you have problems with your knees? Uh, just after going down for a couple of hours, yeah, you start to, nothing that would ever stop you from doing anything, but just enough to, to go, ooh. And particularly if you have hurts. a little slip here and there every now and yeah. then. Yeah. Actually, that's probably true. Most people find after doing Kokoda that they go, I was worried about the uphill and it turned yeah. out to be the downhill that yep. was a hard bit. I agree. So then we go up a little bit and we come to a little area, which you may not remember, but it's where if you go out to the left, you go to Mayola, which is where the biscuit bomber drops were happening during the war. So we don't go out there. It's about a three and a half hour loop. Some people Mm -hmm. do, but I choose not to. We then push on instead and we come to a fork in the road. Now that fork in the road goes to Kagi on the right and Naduri on the left. Mm -hmm. Both of those are part of the original Kokoda track. Um, On the left, we always go to Naduri because there used to be an old fuzzy wuzzy there who died a couple of years ago, and he was like 103 years old, they say. He looked it, I don't mm-hmm. know if he was, um, Arivi Ndieki, and he's quite famous. So we went, we always go there, and, and the way that was working through the war is that they would use that track uh, going to Naduri to take the wounded. Uh, so the wounded would go out on that track, and the other track would bring in the fresh soldiers. And also what, what they did on that track was... Um, ammunition, food, they kind of used, so they weren't clogging it up. But then they both culminate back into um, a village called a Fogi. And we come up to, a, we go down this really steep out of Naduri into this really steep uphill. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? We're yes. coming up through a waterfall. That is, that was incredible. That was, yeah, one of my favourite parts actually. It's hard though. Yeah, it's hard, but so much fun as yeah, well. but beautiful. And you yep. literally, like, the, it, your hands are on the yep. ground right in front of you. Yep. It's that, that steep. And that brings us up to a fogey. Um, its original name was called uh, Lanumu, and since you've done it, they've renamed mm. it back to Lanumu instead of a fogey too. We then go on a little twenty-five minute, very slippery, steep downhill into the village of a fogey. Now, for everyone else, we cross the halfway mark here and we see the sign, and that's a fairly cool experience. Mm-hmm. But for us, I had Piper Joe, the bagpiper, mm. come in. And none of you were aware of that except for Karen, the producer. She was the mm-hmm. only one who knew. And he bagpiped everyone into the village. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Just re-watching the doco from last week, everyone has tears in their eyes coming into that. We're all in a big straight line and it's just gorgeous. It was amazing. And yeah. the emotion of the, oh, of everyone yeah. into that, that section yeah, there. just and, incredible. And it's a massive village. Mm. So that's where they're doing... Yeah. Um, they're playing soccer and all of that sort of stuff. Yep. And uh, I remember all the boys, the young boys, or even I think Ash, and they were all out yeah. playing rugby. Yeah, we played cricket and, and rugby, so it was always good. Did you play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try to get amongst it. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So pretty now, hard when you've got a Queensland cricketer, you know, <laughs> taking over the game. <laughs> he's, pretty, he's pretty serious, wasn't he, Lee? <laughs> Lee Carlson. So we're now at the halfway mark, and what I notice here is that people are really confident that they're going to make it. Yeah. That's the first thing. And they're at the point of... Um, we, we're about to go up the next day to Brigade Hill. Mm-hmm. So I thought for this week I'm going to end the podcast there and we'll come on and do the second half of the track in the podcast next week. Awesome. Can't wait. You know, I spent 17 years in the Army. My father was in the military, my grandparents in the military. So we're from a strong uh, military family. We're very patriotic Australians. Um, for me, 
Mission Ridge and Brigade Hill, the whole Kokoda campaign, more people need to know about it. I know everyone knows someone who's trekked Kokoda, but to actually understand the stories of what these young guys did, it's harrowing what they went through. They were staunch to the end, against odds uncounted, and they fell with their faces to the foe. And they say that there's no greater love has any man than to lay down his life for a friend, and that's what they did. They laid it down for a friend, and they laid it down for this country. And as an Australian, I just, you know, it gets me goosebumps every time I think about it, every time I talk about it. More people need to know about it. Today's service touched us all, but none more so than those who've also served. It's quite moving because I guess the significance of it is younger soldiers like myself, we were involved in campaigns such as Timor, Iraq and Afghanistan and it is a great Australian trait that we are compassionate towards another nation. However, the battle for and along the Kokoda campaign, it is the last and only time we have, where we have literally had to defend our nation. To be on the exact, the exact battleground that our forefathers once stood to defend our country, it's something very special. We also honour the gentle souls who stood beside our Aussie troops. Among our porters are the descendants of the Fuzzy Wuzzy Angels. Bringing back the wounded, just as steady as a hearse, using leaves to keep the rain off, and as gentle as a nurse. Slow and careful in bad places, on the awful mountain track, and the look upon their faces makes us think that Christ was black. The bond between Aussies and the people of Papua New Guinea was forged in war and it endures in peace. We've felt that friendliness, that special connection, in the comforting presence of our porters and in every small community along the Kokoda track. Okay, guys, thanks for tuning in. It would be awesome if you'd share this with anyone you know that's going to the Kokoda track or that has been and has a keen interest in the track. It's people and those that choose to trek it. The pillars of Isharaba say courage, endurance, mateship and sacrifice. Great words to live by and this podcast will offer mateship and a place for those that live and love the Kokoda track experience. Until next episode, live a life that inspires you and those around you. And remember to take time out to think about what's really important. What's really important. What's really important. Thanks for listening to the Kokoda Track Podcast. To get in touch or stay up to date, go to Kokoda Track Podcast on Facebook or email glenn at adventureprofessionals.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Let's keep the spirit and the stories of Kokoda and the PNG people alive.